Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. down the damage assessment and we're going to continue with our number two in a series on COVID-19 and the damage assessment the fallout of what actually has happened uh, this last year and today we're going to focus on addiction and we're going to talk about opiate addiction and alcoholism and depression on this program And, of course, there have been numerous articles that have been talking about a widespread uh, type of anxiety and depression that is actually out there in uh, the culture right now. And people who really have not gotten the kind of help that they need, and we're going to focus on uh, the opiate addiction crisis that is obviously skyrocketing. the, The gains we were making, the gains were all wiped out during the COVID shutdown. With me on the phone is someone who can talk about this in a very expertise way, and that's uh, Pastor Greg Delaney, coordinator of the Woodhaven Recovery of Dayton, Ohio. Pastor Greg, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Chris. It's an honor to be here with you today. Thanks so much. Well, brother, it's good to hear your voice, and, you know, this has been a difficult year, I know, for so many people, and, you know, personally, you know, you know even in my life where uh, my mom passed away. She actually died of COVID in the nursing home. Uh, you know, our family was, uh, you know, we recovered from uh, COVID. There was like 14 members of our mem- uh, family right after the funeral, actually, in December. It uh, just happened to fall that way. And so it was a very difficult Christmas season. And, you know, lots of people, um, you know, family members, actually, we lost family members this last year, not necessarily from COVID, but sometimes just the stress of life. Some of the elderly give up. You know, there's there's the will to live, and and sometimes uh, they they can sense even when they may have um, increased age and dementia and maybe already have some problems, and they can tell that there's stress in the general society and even with family members and all with the COVID shutdown. And some folks kind of gave up, and we so we lost some family members. People had health issues. I've lost personal friends and family this last year. So, you know, the loss is very real and acutely aware. I think in talked to a lot of people who have experienced the same kind of things. I know that you went through some difficulties as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, and I, w- I want to first say that I'm so sorry uh, for all that that happened in your family and 
and I'm, I'm glad that you came out on the other side of your illness. And, uh, but I know it, you know, after we had talked, I knew it's been a rough season for you and, but I know your faith is strong and I know that, uh, you came out on the other side, uh, with purpose. And I know that part of what we're talking about today is to, you know, just hopefully give some hope that we are hopefully on the other side of this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you asked me about, uh, my journey, um, 2020 was really, uh, Chris to, to be a banner year for some of the work that we do. Um, we had had plans to speak at a couple of, uh, national conversations and national conferences about engaging the church, uh, in this, uh, effort. Uh, we were going to be in Baltimore and Anaheim and some other places and all that obviously went away and we ended up having to do that, you know, virtually, but on, on a personal level, I, I found myself in July, um, you know, I actually had preached a sermon at my church on interdependence. And, uh, I really have to tell you that I don't know if I believed it, um, went to a very dark season, didn't feel like I was being very effective in the work that we were doing and really feeling pulled by my own substance use disorder, um, again, and, um, then, then encountered some health issues of my own, not COVID related, spent some time in the hospital at the first of this year. But I can say again, as I mentioned, God is faithful and uh, he's, he used that time of challenge for me as a, a time of learning and a time of finding my, my purpose again and being kind of called back into the space. And, um, and since then, uh, we're really starting to see, I think, momentum in the right direction when it comes to finding ways to engage leaders of faith and others into helping people who clearly not just during COVID, but prior to COVID, that still struggle with substance use disorder, uh, mental health challenges, depression, anxiety, et cetera. Well, that's right. And, and brother, you're so needed in the work, and I'm so glad that the Lord re-energized you. And, and look, we share that transparently with this audience so that they know that, hey, all of us go through difficulties and trials, and it's Christ who sees us through, and that's the message we want to give in this broadcast. We want to talk about the hope that lies before us. Um, I'm reading from The Atlantic. This is a recent article. It talked about the mental health crisis of the pandemic is real. A staggering four in 10 adults have reported symptoms of anxiety and depression, a quadrupling of the pre-pandemic rate. More than one in four mothers reported that the pandemic has had a major impact on their mental health. 24% of parents have reported being diagnosed with a mental health disorder since the start of the pandemic. And, you know, here's another article. The CDC reported a 51% increase in suicide attempts. Now, we obtained the suicide numbers from the Department of Health of Ohio. And, of course, Ohio, unfortunately, pre-pandemic was growing in the rate and numbers of suicide. Now, the 2020 numbers are actually down a little bit from 2019. That's good. Why that is, you know, most people would assume that the numbers would be Higher. Well, they were in some counties, okay? Some rural counties actually ex uh, experienced a, a great, uh, unfortunately, increase in suicide rates in some rural counties. But overall, Ohio, it's been down a little bit. Now, these aren't the final numbers, and it may prove that the numbers are slightly higher than 2019. But quite honestly, the 2018 rate of suicide in Ohio actually got national attention. So, we're not in a good place in Ohio. We need to reach those people who are the forgotten 
and uh, disconnected, maybe from church or maybe from family, even in your own neighborhood, somebody that seems isolated. This is an opportunity. What we're sharing with you about is reaching out to those, rescuing the perishing, and touching people that may be isolated from others, because the worst thing is to be isolated in all this. So here's a number from the CDC. saw so a 51% increase in suicide attempts by adolescent girls during the pandemic. You know, young ladies, of course, they're they're very social type folks, okay, and and all the things that young ladies do. In fact, you know, one example is, and someone always pointed this out to me: girls always go to the bathroom together. Guys don't do that, okay. So young girls <laughs> actually do things together, right, where guys don't. And so you can just imagine the pandemic and the shutdown and at home and no school and no activities, uh, no getting together, no socializing, really had a terrible effect on our adolescent uh, teenagers. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think some of those numbers that you shared, there, there's some consistency in other communities as well. I know you, you provided a, a national number. I was just recently in Atlanta, Georgia, doing a conference and, uh, you know, similar conversations with our friends down there in, in Atlanta. The, the week prior, I was in Nevada and, and had some similar conversations. And one of my dear friends in this space is a, is a fellow named Dr. Monty Burks. He leads the, the faith-based initiatives for the state of Tennessee. And we're, we're actually doing some work in collaboration to try and to create a certification program for churches, uh, really to help them minister uh, more effectively. And one of the things that we did during that training with our friends from Nevada that we gleaned from Tennessee was Tennessee was seeing this intensely high increase of, of folks who were calling the, you know, the mental health line and the suicide prevention line in their state. And so one of the things that, that they're doing uh, in their congregational community as well as in their community are providing something called question, persuade, refer training. And it really is to bring awareness uh, at a community level and, and, in their case, at a church level, uh, training on how to uh, address someone that you may think is, uh, you know, considering uh, completing suicide or, you know, and, and, has, has, and what signs to look for and really how to have the conversation. Because COVID most certainly uh, has, has validated something that you and I have known to be true for a long time, that you know, the Lord built us from community, you know, for community uh, from the very beginning of time. You know, he looked and he, he saw that Adam wasn't complete because Adam was alone. And, and so, you know, it brought him a companion. And from that very start, the, the importance of being connected has never, you know, has always been, you know, a priority for all of us. And, and the pandemic provided, you know, this disconnection and this isolation. And so, you know, not knowing really what to do with that. And seeing those numbers go up where that, that turned to desperation and then people, you know, seeking out and looking for help through the lines or the text lines, or we have a warm line here in Ohio that was, and continues to be heavily used for, for uh, mental health challenges. And so what we're, what we're seeing is that not only do we need to create awareness about reaching out to our loved ones, finding ways to create connection. But really doing that in a way that, that, that there's some evidence behind it, that there's some real training, there's a real uh, way to do that. And then also from us as faith leaders and lay leaders, you know, having enough knowledge to know, hey, if we, if we are able to start this conversation, we need to know where those resources are in our local community so that we can, you know, connect 
uh, you know, the, the folks that we are intersecting with to the appropriate resource. And then while they're there, continue to do what we do well, and that's continue to pray for them and continue to offer safe community for them as they work through uh, the challenges, whether they're pandemic, um, you know, pandemic created or, or if they were laying there dormant and the pandemic kind of ignited them or if, they, if they've been there for a long time. What we want to say at this point, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself that, you know, I have been experiencing depression, uh, first of all, if you're connected with a local church, reach out to your pastor. Let someone uh, or a confidant within your church body know about, you know, uh, some of the sadness or depression that you've been experiencing, and reach out to someone. Let them know that. Also a family member. Uh, But is there a hotline, Pastor, that we can direct people to if they don't have those kinds of uh, resources? Yeah, I always encourage people to go to the Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services webpage. Um, it's O-H-O-H-M-A-S. If you Google that, you can find it. On that webpage is every mental health, addiction, suicide prevention, uh, drug prevention information for the entire state of Ohio. Um, the other, And then that will also give you access to your local community mental health and addiction services resources. In the state of Ohio, we have 88 counties. Um, we actually have an association that oversees all of our behavioral health authorities. And of those 88 counties, we have 55 behavioral health authorities that, that are sprinkled throughout the state. And they have the, the, the charge of uh, contracting with and partnering with uh, service providers that you know, can be uh, leveraged in, in the community for, for all of these things. And uh, and they um, they have really beefed up their um, their resources, their their um, their solutions during the covid time, Uh, you know, giving access, even if it's just a phone call, if it's a if it's a FaceTime opportunity, a telehealth opportunity, Um, you know, covid pressed us into being creative and how to create connection. And so if there is a positive that would come out of this, it's some of that. It's, it's, we've created new ways of accessibility, but you can get all the information about where the resources are in the state and locally at the OHMAS website. Very good. I want to turn a corner here because one of the things that happened during COVID, of course, when restaurants and uh, venues were shut down, there was all entertainment uh, venues were suspended. Uh, uh, you know, people weren't going out. Uh, one of the things they were doing, they were visiting the liquor store. And liquor sales uh, through, you know, just skyrocketed in the state, but not just here, but across the country. It also indicates that, uh, you know, abuse of drugs with the opiates uh, also increased. And you and I, we've talked on this program. In the last few years, there was actually progress being made because Ohio was nationally registered as one of the uh, states that had one of the worst records of opiate uh, deaths and addiction. And we started to make some progress partly through some of the great work that you and your colleagues do in recovery programs. Unfortunately, COVID came at the worst time. Uh, it's never good a time for you know a pandemic of this sort, but the shutdown happened, and uh, people were just fell into a depression. They turned to alcohol. They turned to drugs. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that we want to talk about here. I want to read from an editorial from Senator Portman, who's done so much work on this on the federal level. He says the latest data on opiate crisis shows how the COVID-19 pandemic reversed the progress America was making in decreasing drug overdose deaths. 
More than 90,000 Americans died of overdoses between September 2019 and September 2020 last year. Drug overdose deaths rose by more than 27% in New York and more than 24% in Ohio. Based on current trends, we expect 2021 to be as bad, if not worse. Not a good prognosis of Pastor, and what are we going to do about it? Well, you know, sadly, it it is a little bit to be expected. If you know the way that the recovery community works, um, you know, it is based on community. Uh, in fact, there are many that would make the statement that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, uh, that the opposite of addiction is connection or the opposite of addiction is relationship. And quoting my, my friend I mentioned before, Dr. Burks from Tennessee, you know, when he was on the dais with President Trump in 2018 at the RX Summit, you know, he reiterated how important, you know, these relationships that we have with each other, uh, folks that are in recovery with us, as well as, you know, those safe spaces and with counselors and and other, you know, service providers. And so it's not, it's not, surprising that we've had this increase. It is sad. And and I know Senator Portman's article there quoted the September to September number. I was just recently on a call with our uh, with a group from NIDA, which is the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Um, and they actually came out with the November to November number, and it was 92,000. And so that is, you know, clearly trending in the wrong direction. Uh, the report that I saw indicated that there wasn't a state that was unscathed. Uh, in this increase, that everybody had experienced an increase. Uh, one of the reports that I had seen is that Ohio was in the in the low 30s in terms of its ranking, in terms of its percentage of increase. Folks like Louisiana really took uh, took a hit. Um, but when we think about just the way that people recover, uh, they recover in community. And when you know the the shutdowns took place and they were unable to gather. Uh, really created some challenges uh, for everybody. And, and what was interesting, in fact, I was just doing a training before I hopped on here with you that we're doing for helping families navigate addiction. It's in conjunction with Governor DeWine's office and our friends from Addiction Policy Forum in Washington, D.C. And part of that training, uh, we were discussing the impact of, of COVID in terms of people who had long histories of recovery uh, who were, you know, years of, of sobriety and, and uh, abstinence from drug and alcohol use, only to fall into reoccurrence and relapse, um, you know, due to the isolation. And the other part that's trending and leading to some of that, you know, number, Chris, is, is quite frankly, the, 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 the drugs themselves are, are continuing to evolve. You know, you and I know that this is being orchestrated by the enemy. Uh, and so he's continuing to continuing to evolve. And so what we're seeing is a move away, you know, from what we might have seen in 15 and 16 of, of people, you know, using black tar heroin. And it's moving toward much more potent uh, poly substances to where the, the drug of fentanyl is rarely not in everything. So it's in cocaine. It's in, you know, uh, you know, it's it's being pressed into pills that are being, you know, marketed as Xanax and they're really fentanyl pills. In fact, I just lost a dear friend. Uh, his name was Dustin. We lost him this week uh, to something similar to that. And so, you know, you, you put all, you put all of this together, you've got kind of a perfect storm of more potency, 
isolation, a lack of being able to stay accountable and be with community. And now, you know, you're seeing the, the, the fallout from that. And that is those overdose numbers, you know, going into places that, that clearly we never thought they'd go, especially when we were trending, as you mentioned, such in the right direction. The drug cartels are having a heyday now with an open border. The senator points that out. That cannot be ignored at this point. U.S. Customs and Border Protection shows a massive increase in seizures of fentanyl at the border. CBP has uh, seized more than 600 pounds of deadly fentanyl every month for the last 12 months. Uh, In the last six months alone, it has seized 5,400 pounds of fentanyl, enough to kill 1.2 billion people or the entire population of the United States more than three times over. Pastor, we have a crisis on the border, and this is feeding the addiction problems in this country. And as you just stated, it's going to a more uh, synthetic style that is much more potent. And um, we got to give people hope, and we got to reach them, folks. If you're listening to this program, you're a Christian. You First of all, you need to be praying. You need to be praying for our communities. You need to be praying for the people in your church, your neighborhood. You need to be praying for the people of our state and for those who are struggling uh, with addictions and that they get the help that they need. And if you know of someone who is struggling with addiction, you need to take them by the hand, show concern and care, and get them linked up with people that can help them. Pastor, your thoughts. Yes, and I, I think you, you hit it right on the money, Chris, is that, you know, the, the folks who are on the nefarious side of this business are creative. Um, you know, it's billions and billions of dollars. Um, so that part's not going to stop. And, and so we need to be cognizant and aware and having programs like this just to, you know, really share the, the facts with people is so important. But to your point about being accessible and and there to help someone both in prayer but also educating yourself on what substance use disorder really is we we've spent far too much time uh in our communities stigmatizing those that are dealing with this uh challenge and it is a medical condition uh the, the church often has always viewed this as, as strictly a, a moral failing and an issue of, of behavior and it's not and so in, in order for me to be effective at, at helping someone, I need to know what it is and what it isn't. And the good news is, is that yes, addiction happens, but recovery is possible and recovery is happening, you know, still today, even with all of the bad news that we're sharing, you know, it's been estimated that we have about 20 million people in the United States who are uh, suffering from substance use disorder, but we have 23 million that are in recovery. Amen. And so there is a there's a group of people out there that have been there, uh, have been through it, that are great resources. But the important part is, is to Chris's point, is how do we lead with compassion and not with judgment? And I think we do that by having an understanding that uh, the folks that are dealing with this are hurting. It's likely that there's been something that has happened in their life that has pushed them to seeking relief. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mahdi makes an interesting point when he says addiction is a de- is a person's desperate attempt to solve a problem. And often that problem is pain, loss of connection, trauma in their life. And I think as the church, we really have an obligation because we have the answer to pain. We can talk to people about the hope that is Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we need to understand what's going on in that pain and, and also be able to connect them to the appropriate resources to deal with that substance use challenge and all the while continuing to come alongside them being compassionate without judgment. Thank you, Pastor. 
That's Pastor Greg Delaney, again, of Woodhaven Recovery Center of Dayton, Ohio. Pastor, thank you for being my guest today. Great program. Thank you. My pleasure, Chris. Anytime. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you for listening. God bless you, buddy. hope it's been a blessing. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue the following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. COVID-19, the shutdown, and the fallout. Today on the program, we're going to talk about the damage assessment of what has happened over this past year with the COVID-19 shutdown. 
We're going to take a look at the great fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic and the shutdown of most of society and the impact it has had on citizens of Ohio and the church community. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a term the great reset by some. What the COVID-19 pandemic and the government-mandated shutdowns created was an acceleration of a reset that was already in motion. We are at a generational crossroads, not only in America, but in the Western world. As the World War II generation is now fading, and even the baby boom generation is aging, the deconstruction of societal standards is evident all around us and no longer can be denied. Just as with any disaster, either natural or man-made, an assessment of damage from the fallout of the event has to take place. That's what we are going to do on this program today. You are listening to News and Focus, a broadcast of the Ohio Christian Alliance. And that music you heard on the beginning was actually um, orchestrated by one of our contacts, and uh, it's called Eternity. And he um, basically composed that at the end of last year. Uh, and it's very moving, and I think it was very telling and appropriate for what we've all just been through. And actually, there's a lot of us that are still dealing with the ramifications of last year in our own lives, as our lives have been turned upside down. In the next few programs, we're going to take a look at the COVID-19 shutdown, the fallout, and what we're calling the casualty list. First today, with a group of pastors, we're going to talk about church closure, the isolation, the forgotten, and steps to recovery, and actually to rescue the perishing, because there's a lot of people that are cut off right now, and we need to find out who they are, and we need to identify them and go on a rescue mission. We're also going to have a program about depression and suicide rates that have skyrocketed during this shutdown. We're going to be talking to some people in the know with uh, opiate and alcohol addiction recovery programs, and basically, as you might imagine, the numbers are off the charts. Uh, We're also going to talk about clinical depression, drug and alcohol abuse, and talk about the isolation and and the forgotten and the missing in a few programs upcoming. But today we're going to focus on the church. Uh, We're going to discuss where the church is and and how we reemerge from the COVID protocols and lockdowns. Unfortunately, churches have not recovered in attendance, and some have closed permanently. Uh, Some ministers have resigned or have left the ministry. We're going to answer some of these questions today, and hopefully with our panel point to a few forward uh, way forward so the church can get back on track fulfilling the mission of Christ, reaching the lost and rescuing the perishing. I want to turn to our good friend, Pastor Mark Abel. He is the executive director of Sky Watchers, and uh, you know, most recently he was pastoring the Grace Brethren Church in Ashland, and now he's full-time with the Sky Watchers ministry. Uh, brother, uh, good to have you on the program. Well, it's always good to be with you, Chris. Thank you for uh, for having me, and uh, thank you for tackling issues like this on your program. Well, thank you. And, you know, this last year has been so challenging, and we've talked a little bit about that uh, when we were traveling down to Columbus to do the presentation of the Ten Commandments, and thank you for joining me as we presented the statewide. That was a great day. But, you know, when we look about the Church, in fact, the Southern Baptists just had their national convention— and, you know, they're, they're beset with a lot of issues right now in the Southern Baptist uh, churches across the country. In fact, I'm looking at a Christian Post article that says, why are, so many, uh, why are there so many empty churches? A reminder and warning for Southern Baptists, okay? And, of course, it's talking about other churches, denominational churches, but 
we've seen a lot of church closures this last year. We've seen ministers leave the ministry this last year. In fact, I was talking to one young pastor, and he was so discouraged because people he graduated with just a few years ago have left the ministry to secular work uh, employment, and uh, he said they're not coming back. And so this is it's been a terrible effect this last year. Your thoughts? Well, you know, COVID uh, definitely has ravished our churches, and it's sad. I think we've gotten so comfortable here in the West with, you know, being able to jump uh, church hop from church to church, and, you know, consumerism undoubtedly has played a role uh, into this as well. So, you know, I think some of those folks who have lived through some of the persecution and things that we are unaware of kind of look at us and go, you know, are you part of the church or are you not part of the church? So it's been kind of a refining, too, refined by fire, those who aren't serious about being a part of the body of Christ. I think really, you know, were were displayed and shown uh, in this time period. And and those, you know, I think who uh, understand the, the, you know, the biblical mandate to to be a part of a of a body of Christ, um, you know, in, in some sense, we're even attacked by folks because we wanted to be with our brethren and we wanted to we wanted to uh, to have church services and those types of things. So there's un you know undoubtedly the effects have gone to the pastorate. You know, I I think a lot of guys are just tired of being danged if they do and danged if they don't, and you know they can get treated better in some sense even in the secular world. So. It is definitely um, some unique waters that we are finding ourselves navigating through this time. You know, you can almost argue also that the COVID shutdown happened. It couldn't have come at a worse time because there has been, with our young people, there's been kind of a cultural divide uh, between those who are the baby boomers and, uh, the you know, the uh, younger people and millennials uh, and, of course, all of that just kind of came to a head. People have been wondering where the millennials were as, as far as their thinking, their doctrine, you know, uh, their their um, uh, what are their uh, principles, what are their morals. And yet what we're seeing is, in this article, it says the bigger question seems to be what led to these symptoms of, you know, the, the church uh, decay. It says uh, basic cultural decay, downgrading of moral absolutes, there's more to it than just changing values. And so, you know, th- it actually, this is, like you said, all come to a head, and that uh, it's kind of like Gideon, and, and God is kind of winnowing out uh, the chaff of the church right now. Well, right now, your thoughts? Well, you know, um, how did we get here? We compromised on doctrine. We made, uh, and that's where I mentioned the consumerism. You know, we, you know, the church was weakened because we're into what we want. And if the, you know, as Second Timothy tells us, you know, there are those that want their ears tickled. And I think of some of the petty things that we lost people over, you know, over the last couple of years that, that I was at Southview and you just, your heart breaks because it's like, if, if that's what we're, if, if that's what we are going to allow to separate relationships within the body of Christ, then, you know, we're going to be sitting ducks for when true persecution comes. And so watched how we responded we have, you know, we've compromised our doctrines. We have made the things that are um, crucial within the church. You know, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you know. You know, when the rubber meets the road and things get difficult, 
it's it's about what you know, and do you truly know Christ? Do you truly walk with Him on a daily basis? Do you truly trust in Him in good times and bad times? Do you give the uh, the authority of the Word? Can you define what even the Bible is and what it means? Um, you know, are you willing to submit? Uh, you know, uh, to its teachings, and even when you don't agree with them, uh, you know, from the human standpoint, you know, those are the questions that we've just, you know, we've compromised on. We we teach topics, we don't teach text of scripture. And um, when this COVID happened, I, I think exactly what you um, what you said is true. Uh, you know, people didn't didn't have the knowledge of the Word of God to fall back on, and so they fell out. Well, that's exactly what happened, and, you know, Pastor Mark, uh, so appreciate his comments, and we with us on the phone also is Pastor Rodney Lord from Marietta, Ohio, and also Pastor John Coates from Columbus. We're going to be talking about a variety of uh, church denominations in this program. Right now, I want to give you the coronavirus numbers. Uh, these are the official numbers from the Ohio Department of Health as of today, and there was over 1,109,000 total cases. Uh, there was over 60,000 hospitalizations, 8,277 ICU admissions, uh, and here's the deathly number, uh, 20,213 deaths in Ohio due to COVID. And uh, right now, though, the good news is uh, the effect, uh, infections per 100,000 is down to 26 cases per 100,000, so that's good news. And all the statewide COVID restrictions have been uh, uh, lifted since the beginning of June. But we got news of a church in Akron that has been closed for over a year. And uh, we were going to play for you the recording, but I'll just tell you what it is. It's a, it's a large African-American church in, in greater Akron, a great church, good pastor. And they've been closed for over a year. I actually talked to one of their members when I was at the hospital, and she's a nurse practitioner, and she said, that's my home church, and we were fellowshipping, and she said, yeah, we've been closed down for over a year. Well, they're allowing in-person services now, but it, the announcement says you your temperature will be taken at the door. Face masks are required. The service will be only 30 minutes in length. There will not be any choir, and there will be you'll be seated every other row with three feet in between. Another large African-American church in Greater Cleveland said on a broadcast channel this week that they're not going to be opening up till July 4th, and then they're only going to allow their seniors to come back and participate. They won't have uh, the normal choir, but they'll have some choruses that they'll sing that are familiar with the congregation, and so they're taking it very carefully. Uh, with me on the phone is Pastor John Coates. He actually serves on Governor DeWine's uh, COVID uh, task force to the African-American community. Pastor, uh, what's going on here? Well, I, I think that people are, are genuinely afraid. There, it's, there's a fear factor that, that, that has to be factored into all of this. People um, watched uh, daily press conferences from state governors throughout the country. They watched uh, daily White House press conferences. They watched daily CDC press conferences, uh, World Health press conferences, and, and, and they received information in a ticker tape on their televisions in which they watch more TV hours than, than in any other time period because they were at home. And people are very frightened to gather together again, even post 
mask uh, mandates or what have you. They are still <clears throat> frightened to um, gather together. So they're so what pastors, a lot of pastors are operating out of an I, I call it an overabundance of um, of caution. Again, they're only responding to the sentiments within the congregation. From what I can understand, is that. Uh, again, in the African-American community, there seems to be a reticence to get back to, uh, you know, congregating and, and doing things norm, uh, because, you know, once they finally realized, and the numbers were terrible, I mean, in your own uh, denomination, uh, Church of God in Christ, uh, there was a lot of leadership that were actually died of the, of the COVID-19. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, Charisma Magazine reported it as being um, um, over 30 of our bishops died from COVID. Now, I personally know that that number is not is not correct. Everyone did not die from COVID, but but we had, did have a great many um, of our church leaders um, um, pass away as a result of having been um, infected by the COVID-19 virus. Um, and a lot of our churches have um, have not met. A, a lot of our churches, of course, as, as, as other churches, um, sought to find um, alternative means of of, of worship. Um, many went out outdoors during the months that they could worship outside. Um, uh, many went through um, the recommended um, precautions um, and to meet in person. As it relates to the social distancing, taking temperatures, et cetera, um, uh, many churches like my own, we um, we ask our seniors to to stay home, and we um, equip them um, with with a lot of digital technology and train them so that they could um, more easily operate the um, in, in many cases, which were new, brand new technology to them. And of course, there was you know a lot of. Um uh, folks didn't know what to believe because there was so much information and uh, counter information, uh, you know, about uh, how the disease spread and and, uh, and so when you were tasked with this with the governor's office at first, it was to communicate information to the community. Tell us a little bit about that because at first, I think I remember us having a conversation. You're saying uh, the African American community basically was not. Um, uh, you know, they thought that this wasn't going to affect them as much, and it, conversely, uh, actually higher numbers of infection and and um, deaths in the in the black community. Explain that. Yes, and um, and there was also concern. Well, act um, well. First of all, it was a minority um, health strike force, and strike versus task mean task force versus strike force. It, and this was a strike force. And its intention was to immediately address uh, minority communities. Now, in the African-American community, the great concern was the number of comorbidities within certain zip codes in our state. Now, what a comorbidity is, is if you have more than one life-altering disease. So you have people that have heart disease, but yet they have high blood pressure stacked on top of that, yet they have type 1 or type 2 diabetes on top of that, and then someone may have kidney disease, uh, disease on top of that. So you have multiple diseases, which makes the immune system and the body weaker, and those individuals more susceptible to contracting um, the, COVID, um, the COVID virus. So the, the mission of the strike force was to get information and to get um, PPE um, out 
to as many people as possible. And they had individuals like myself on to make sure that they kind of um, would get areas that regular government bureaucrats would have would have missed. But there were those that was on the minority health strike force that that I guess did not want to see that happen. And they wanted to address every social determinants of of, of what African Americans have been dying from over the last eighty years. And that was not the purpose of the strike force. The strike force was to respond immediately to COVID nineteen impact on um, on on those that suffered from comorbidities. Well, and as we went through the shutdown period, obviously uh, sporting events shut down, public venues, libraries, restaurants, schools, churches, uh, entertainment venues. All of this really upturned our life, uh, Pastor. Uh, Rodney Lord, uh, you know, when you think about all this, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. Thankfully, we're coming out of it. You can see uh, people getting back to norm, uh, you know, and enjoying the freedom, as it were. But things aren't quite right at at the same time. You can sense an uneasiness. Uh, you know, when we think about lots of people went through bouts of depression. They may not have had addiction problems, but uh, some people may have gone through depression and not really actually realized it, where they no longer, you know, well, what's that? Well, when you no longer enjoy the simple things that you used to enjoy is one sign of depression. Uh, what are the kind of things that you faced in your congregation? Well, first I want to say thank you for tackling this topic, but and also to Pastor Coates for being so strategically involved, informed, and working closely you know, with our governmental leaders, I believe that's the role of the church to be involved. So thank you for doing that. Um, thank you. You know, we, we are made, we, we're all made, whether we're a believer or not, for community. And when that community gets devastated by isolation, uh, fear of the unknown, the hopelessness that goes along with it, you know, that's, you know, that's something you can endure for, you know, a few weeks. But when it starts extending month after month after month, you have those that are possibly already somewhat isolated, and going to church was their main outlet of connecting with community or even family. And when you take that away, then all of a sudden you've put uh, a lot of people on an island that they were never designed to you know, survive on. Um, some of the negative things that we experienced here, and I think uh, is around the world and around the country, certainly in Ohio, is that all of a sudden hospitals were uh, locked down, nursing homes locked down. So if someone had a loved one that was there, they couldn't see them. And the hospitals were trying to manage the unknown. So they were keeping staff there. So we got word that, you know, staff was working like these many shifts back to back and and um, obviously the family couldn't be there. So we tried to say, OK, what what can we do? <laughs> we wouldn't be called a strike force, but we started putting together these uh, baskets full of food and snacks because we were told that these hospital staff were so um, overwhelmed that they didn't even have time to stop and eat. And so we said, OK, let's see what we can do there. Um, I know that as a pastor, I could get into hospitals. And it was really strange because you'd walk down the halls and you'd see no other people except the nurses and the people in the rooms. Right. And so you think about the isolation that they were feeling, because if you go to the hospital, one of the bright points is at least my family and friends are coming in to check on me, you know, to make sure I'm, I'm OK and getting the care that I need. So that, along with 
parents now managing kids that are home uh, from school. And, you know, and since even the last month, the government's been pouring literally billions of dollars into a workforce that no longer works. And so now we have employers that are like stranded. So uh, we've seen the disruption, but I will say in Southeast Ohio, where we are, it took a while for that level of disruption to really, for us to feel it. Um, We closed down for eight weeks, like a lot of churches did. But then we decided, well, we have to make an important decision here. Are we just going to stay closed down or are we going to, you know, take all the steps, the precautionary steps and get back to being the community that we're called to be? Right. And and then just like you guys said, advise those with health issues to stay home or advise those that are concerned or aged and they're concerned about it until we know more to stay home. So we we did those precautions but we did not stay closed. So and, that and made a huge difference in our community. That's right. And I remember having you on the program and talking about the outdoor services, and you actually had unified services with other churches uh, to celebrate uh, the Resurrection Sunday. And, you know, that's the church being the church. And, uh, you know, so that's what's so important. And yet, I think a lot of people have gotten out of the practice of church. They've gotten out of, you know, the 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 habit of getting up on Sunday morning, getting the family ready, getting to church, and joining in with fellowship. And that's what we've got to get back to. Reading from uh, because the enemy has actually had a field day with all this. There's no doubt about that. We're going to talk about that. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor. A struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Again, with me on the phone is Pastor John Coates from Greater Columbus and also Pastor Rodney Lord from Marietta. And we're going to continue this. We're going to turn the corner a little bit. We're going to actually give you some steps as to how we can pray and how we can actually get re-engaged to uh, do the ministry that Christ has commanded us to do. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, 19, uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And so that's what we're going to talk about, that the church is that standard, and that's what we need to fulfill the mission.
You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.